please be seated. The reading is Jeremiah chapter 10, verses 1 to 16, and this can be found on page 769 in the Red Bibles. We have Bibles in other languages and versions available at the back of church, and the page numbers for those are shown on the screen. Hear what the Lord says to you, people of Israel. This is what the Lord says. Do not learn the ways of the nations, or be terrified by signs in the heavens, though the nations are terrified by them. For the practices of the peoples are worthless. They cut a tree out of the forest, and a craftsman shapes it with his chisel. They adorn it with silver and gold. They fasten it with hammer and nails so that it will not totter. Like a scarecrow in a cucumber field, their idols cannot speak. They must be carried because they cannot walk. Do not fear them. They can do no harm, nor can they any, do any good. No one is like you, Lord. You are great, and your name is mighty in power. Who should not fear you, King of the Nations? This is your due. Among all the wise leaders of the nations and in all their kingdoms, there is no one like you. They are all senseless and foolish. They are taught by worthless wooden idols. Hammered silver is brought from Tarshish and gold from Uphaz. What the craftsmen and the goldsmith have made is then dressed in blue and purple, all made by skilled workers. But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God, the eternal King. When he is angry, the earth trembles. The nations cannot endure his wrath. Tell them this. These gods who did not make the heavens and the earth will perish from the earth and from under the heavens. But God made the earth by his power. He founded the world by his wisdom and stretched out the heavens by his understanding. When he thunders, the waters in the heavens roar. He makes clouds rise from the ends of the earth. He sends lightning with the rain and brings out the wind from his storehouses. Everyone is senseless and without knowledge. Every goldsmith is shamed by his idols. The images he makes are a fraud. They have no breath in them. They are worthless, the objects of mockery. When their judgment comes, they will perish. He, who is the portion of Jacob, is not like these, for he is the maker of all things, including Israel, the people of his inheritance. The Lord Almighty is his name. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks very much indeed, Nikki, for reading that to us. Uh, keep your Bibles open, let's pray together, and then we'll take a look at it. Heavenly Father, we pray. Lord, I pray that you'd really expand our vision of who you are this uh, morning. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. Now, there are, um, and have been, lots of good writers 
down the centuries and from lots of different parts of the world. Uh, great writers uh, who've produced fantastic works of literature and, uh, and non-fiction and speeches and whatever it might be. Brilliant writers from, from different nations. But Shakespeare has a case for saying that he is unrivaled and somehow uh, greater than any writer there has been. If you are Shakespeare, you've got at least a case you can make for being unrivaled. It has been the subject of um, a very funny series uh, about him, which some of you might have seen, and of which we have a little clip, uh, which I'm going to play for you, which is about him being unrivaled and uh, better than anyone else. You know my dream. To be recognised now and for all time as indisputably the greatest writer that ever lived and to buy the second biggest house in Stratford. Exactly. That's it, in a nutshell. In a nutshell? What does that mean? Oh, tis just one of the numerous inspired phrases which I am wont to coin <laughs> and which I'm confident will enter the common idiom. Well, good luck with it in a nutshell, because I think it's stupid. I mean, you couldn't really get anything at all inside a nutshell, because they're very, very small and also full of nuts. <laughs> Closing the name. Your observations, Bottom, are neither here nor there. Is that another one? Yes, just invented it. When, when it comes to language, the world's mine oyster. <laughs> In fact, I'm so clever, I could end up with too much of a good thing. Maybe you should stop now. Can't. They just pop up all of a sudden. But give the devil his due, there's method in my madness. Really? Stop it. Why? Tis a foregone conclusion that they'll leave you bedazzled and in stitches, and before long you'll be demanding more with bated breath. The world's your oyster. Why would that be a good thing? Tad obscure? Uh, what the dickens? I'll spoil my spotless reputation. Must be tired. I didn't sleep one wink. If I'm not careful, you'll send me packing on a wide wild goose chase, and I'll vanish into thin air, or be dead as a doornail. Stop it! Um, whether all of those are absolutely his coinages, I don't know, but uh, you get the idea. Here is Shakespeare, and claiming to be, uh, and having a, a shot at, the greatest writer that has ever lived. And um, We are thinking this morning about uh, the character of God... And we are in a series where we have so far been thinking about God's ability to uproot and discomfort and, um, uh, and kind of trouble uh, the world and God's people. Um, if you remember, we've, we've been in a series that uh, Tim has been taking us through, um, and he showed us this um, map early on in his uh, um, in his. Uh, uh, one of his first uh, talks on this, where he showed us a map and showed us the situation that God's people were in in Jeremiah's day, where they were trapped, if you like, between bigger world powers. Uh, with Babylon on uh, the far uh, right, you can see there, they had Egypt on the left. They were under pressure from different sides. And the message that Jeremiah was going to bring them was one in which was not going to be an easy one. In fact, it was a very uncomfortable message. He was going to um, uproot. He was going to take them out. Bad things were going to happen. It was a message that brought judgment. And I want us to, um, to know where we are in the series that we're working through. And if you like to slow up 
as we turn a corner. Um, I don't know if you've ever been in a car journey um, uh, with somebody, and uh, they, you're, kind of, you're the passenger, and you go around a corner, and it seems you're going at quite a lot of speed, and you suddenly find yourself gripping on to the car for dear life. Um, if, you're, uh, if you're the person who drives like that, know that that's what the person is doing when they, you see the whites in their knuckles. Sometimes we can hair around a corner and not quite know what you're doing. And you, we, we need to slow up for a moment with this particular sermon this morning. Tim has outlined for us the ways in which God is going to uproot his people. And it's going to be painful and difficult in lots of ways. We're going to look over the next three weeks coming at how then, as to use the words that we've had, God is going to plant. Having uprooted, he's going to begin planting. He's going to plant uh, a people. Um, He's going to plant a king. He's going to plant a future. And so we're at a point where we need to just slow up as we go around the corner. And we're asking this kind of question this morning. In a sense, what is it about God that Jeremiah turns to at that point? What is it about God that Jeremiah looks to? What is it in God's character that enables him to say, having said, God is going to uproot. He's going to take you out. It is going to be painful and difficult. What is it that allows him to go from there to saying he is going to plant and build and give you a future? You imagine if you didn't think about it for a moment, it would be like going around a corner at breakneck speed and you'd slightly wonder what's going on. So that is what we're doing this morning. We're going to just try and slow up and look at that. And in asking that question, what is it that Jeremiah turns to? What is it about God that he looks to? It is that God is unrivaled. He is greater than anyone else. He is incomparable. We've got two things we're going to look at in light of that and in light of this um, uh, text, that he is firstly an unrivaled leader, and then secondly, that he's an incomparable artist. An unrivaled leader and an incomparable artist. Now, the first of those, then, is this, that he is an unrivaled leader. Do you see what uh, I'm, I'm suggesting here? How can you know that that uprooting that painful discomfort isn't just going to end in disaster. What is it you need to know? One of the reasons why I wanted to show you that um, clip this morning, and if it, you know, if it didn't make you laugh, don't worry, it went over your head, whatever. Um, but it, it is, it's meant to be quite funny. Um, it's satirical. <laughs> For those of you who weren't sure, <laughs> it's meant to be quite funny. It, it's meant to be satirical. And this poem, this part of Jeremiah, is meant to make you smile. It's meant to be satirical. The, way, the, the tone with which Nikki read it is, was just right. It's meant to, there are bits where you're meant to raise your eyes and, and sort of chuckle slightly. And it moves through comparing the idols to God, and we're meant to laugh at points. Now, what we're not going to do um, in detail um, here is unpack how idols work. We did that um, uh, two or three weeks ago when we looked at the sort of mechanics of what is it about idols that makes them work and that, that kind of gains their appeal to us. That's not the drive of what's here. Here it's a comparison between idols and the character of God. Okay? So that's what we've got. And there is this satirical element. So let me just read. You kind of pick it up. Don't learn the ways of the nations, uh, verse uh, 2, or be terrified by signs in the heavens. 
though the nations are terrified by them, for the practices of the peoples are worthless. And he walks through what they do. They cut a tree out of the forest and, you know, hack it down. And then um, a craftsman shapes it with his chisel. And you uh, overlay it with gold and silver. You fasten it with, with hammer and nails. Now, you need to nail it down so it doesn't fall over. Uh, just like when you put a, an ornament on the mantelpiece and you don't want it to kind of topple over. So you just make sure it's secure. Um, and they nail it down um, uh, so that it won't fall over. And he says they're like a scarecrow in a cucumber field. And that's your basic idol, like a scarecrow in a field. And, of course, a scarecrow uh, cannot speak. You know, you can go up to it and kind of tap it, but it's not going to say anything to you. And, of course, if you want, to, if you want your idol to do anything, well, of course, unfortunately, you have, to, you have to go and pick up your idol and put it on your shoulder and then walk and then put your idol down somewhere else because that's all an idol can do. It can't walk. It's got no ability. So don't fear them. They can do no harm, nor can they do any good. And then he says, so none is like you, Lord. In comparison to these idols, you are great. Your name is mighty in power. Who should not fear you, king of the nations? This is your due. Among all the wise leaders of the nations and in all their kingdoms, there is no one like you. And then he goes back to the idols for a moment and says, uh, they, the, the people, are all senseless and foolish. They are taught by worthless wooded idols. Hammered silver is brought from Tarshish and gold from Uphaz. What the craftsmen and the goldsmith have made is then dressed in blue and purple. So I'm not denying that your scarecrow, as it goes, is, you know, they've got some good linen on it and they've made it look reasonable. But of course, that's all it is, dressed up by a skilled worker. But the Lord, verse 10, is the true God. He is the living God, the eternal king. When he is angry, the earth trembles. The nations cannot endure his wrath. Do you see the comparison that's being made? These idols, they can't do anything. They can't walk, they can't talk, dressed up though they might be. But God is living and he's active. And notice, would you, in the, in the verses, so 6 and 7 and then 10, There is a real emphasis, a particular emphasis, on power and nations and leaders and kingdoms. No one is like you. Your name is mighty in power. Who should not fear you, king of the nations? This is your due. Among all the wise leaders of the nations and in all their kingdoms, there is no one like you. Do you see, it has a political uh, tone to it. In verse 10, the the Lord is the true God. He's the living God, the eternal king. When he is angry, the earth trembles. The nations cannot endure his wrath. He is, um, the word statecraft, you come across the word statecraft, the ability to build nations uh, or to take down nations. Statecraft is perhaps a rare commodity in our day and age. Here, God's ability is unrivaled to change nations, to move nations. It's not just that he can kind of move the chess pieces around on the board. It's not just that. It's that he can take the whole board and shake it and everyone else can fall if he wishes. It's that, you see, it's that level. When he is angry, the earth trembles. When he takes a chessboard as though it were a rug and the ripples are felt, he is unrivaled. Now, why would that be so important? 
Just to take our map again and just think for a moment about where we've been and where Jeremiah is. As Tim explained, one of the things that was going to happen to God's people is under those pressures uh, and when they would be uprooted, what was coming for them was exile in Babylon. Babylon would come. They would take over. They would cart people off. What was coming was, in a, in a, sense, a very real sense, the unraveling of everything that God's people had worked to for all of, uh, of, of the, their history up until that point. If you think about it for a moment, God's plans and promises to bring uh, a people, to form a people out of Abraham and his family, to bring them uh, out of slavery, to give them a land, to place them there, to give them a throne and a king who was going to rule over them. To, you know, not that long ago, we'd reached that high point. Everything that God was going to bring about was going to be there. And Jeremiah can see all of that is going to unravel again. And they would lose their king and their throne. And they're going to be thrown out of their land and dissipated as a people. Everything is going to unravel and unwind. Now, if that is what you know, if you want to know how on earth is God going to plant anything new out of that, well, you need to know that he has unrivaled leadership over the nations. Do you see? You, have to, you need to know that actually he, can, he will and can move those nations around as he pleases. That other nations need to look to him. That he is their living and eternal God. He is not a scarecrow in a field that cannot be moved. He walks across the earth as he chooses. And if you're, going to, if you're Jeremiah and you're going to believe and know that that is possible, you need to know this. He's unrivaled in his leadership, in his statecraft. It is a commodity that you might look at the world today and say, we need. This is this morning's newspaper, one of them. <laughs> Not the only newspaper published in this country, <laughs> but here is one of them. Leadership, statecraft, the ability to make things happen. It is everywhere in our news. In lots of ways, you could say our world is looking for leaders. And Jeremiah says, there is one and one only, and no one is like him in his ability to do this. And you will look in vain elsewhere. An unrivaled leader. What then is the source of that ability? What is it? Because it's one thing for me to stand here and say, so he's better than any other leader there is. And you might go, okay. But what is the source of that? What is the, uh, if you could lift up under the bonnets, what is it that enables that to happen? What it is, according to Jeremiah here, is his Ability to create, that he is an incomparable artist. Let's have a look at what he says, uh, verses 11 onwards. Tell them this, these gods who did not make the heavens and the earth will perish from the earth and from under the heavens. But God made the earth by his power. He founded the world by his wisdom. He stretched out the heavens by his understanding. When he thunders 
the waters in the heavens roar. He makes the cloud rise from the ends of the earth. He sends lightning with the rain and brings out the wind from his storehouses. Again, here's the comparison with the idols. Everyone is senseless and without knowledge. Every goldsmith is shamed by his idols. So there are, there's a goldsmith and he's making his idol and yet he's shamed by it. Have you, I don't know if you've ever drawn a picture or, or um, uh, goes back to days doing art, if you ever did art at school, and you were just too embarrassed to show somebody. You know, you're sitting there doing, no, don't look at mine. It's really, really bad. Um, if you ever had that moment, now, those of you who excel at art are like, no, 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 let me show you mine. Um, but if you had that moment, he's saying that the, the, the idle craftsman makes their idols and is like, I'm embarrassed by this. I'm embarrassed to present you this as some kind of God who has any kind of power. The images he makes are a fraud, and they have no breath in them. Now, you, your ears might prick up at that, and you might be starting to think, I wonder what has breath. I wonder who gives breath. They are worthless. The objects of mockery, and when their judgment comes, they will perish. And so again, he is contrasting that work of idol-making and, and, and how insignificant it is, and he's contrasting it with the God who creates with power. So those verses, um, verse 11, 12, and 13, it's extraordinary if you look at them, if you were somebody who likes to kind of highlight in your Bible, each line from verse 12, uh, in verse 12 and 13 has something that God does. God made the earth by his power. He founded the world by his wisdom. He stretched out the heavens by his understanding. When he thunders, the waters in the heavens roar. He makes clouds rise from the ends of the earth. He sends lightning with the rain. He brings out the wind from his storehouses. All you had to do was be in Manchester yesterday to see most of this happening all at once. You imagine the, the point at which God says, okay, guys, let's open the storehouses, and out comes the north wind. It's an extraordinary picture, isn't it, of his power and his ability. And it is his creative power, his sheer creativity, he makes, founds, stretches, thunders, sends, brings. And he forms. So in verse 16, he says, He who is the portion of Jacob is not like these idols, for he is the maker of all things. And the word maker here is the word that God, uh, that appears in Genesis 2. Uh, in verses uh, 7 and 8 and 19, of God who forms humanity. And of course, what does he give them? He gives them breath. And it is God's creative power, his sheer uh, ability to do that, that Jeremiah is pointing to. And if you like, why has Shakespeare got a case for being a great writer? It, as much as anything, it's the sheer volume of creativity that came from him. Uh, the sheer number of words that he invented. The stories that he wove and retold. It's why there's an industry around him. It's not for nothing. But it's that level of creativity that is uh, what uh, Jeremiah is pointing us to. Now, why is that? Because if you want to know, think again, if you want to know how is God going to plant and build a people and a king and a nation 
from where we have been and seeing everything unravel, you need to know he has that creative potential. God is going to create and recreate. And Jeremiah says, look, this is his ability. This is, what me, this is why I know this can happen. It's why, if you think about it for a moment, the cross and the resurrection are the center point of the Christian faith. The cross and the resurrection. And if you look at the New Testament and look at how much the early Christians saw in the resurrected body of Jesus the extraordinary creation and salvation power of God. I wonder if you can imagine just a thought experiment for a moment. You walk into, uh, if you could walk into the art studio of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and they sort of welcome you in, and they say, hi, come and have a look. And you say to them, so what are you working on? Oh, they get really excited. We've got this, this is, you're going to love this. This is amazing. Uh, we're, we're working on here, it's a resurrection body. Um, and, uh, and, and the, the son, the second person, says, yes, I'll, I'll, I'll take that. Uh, and the spirit goes, you see, it's, it's amazing. Uh, it's kind of like what you know, but, but you don't know it at the same time. It's something you've seen before, but you haven't. And you'll see it and you'll be like, I kind of know that, but I don't know that. I've seen it, I've seen what it could be, but my goodness, it's impressive. If you could walk into the art studio of God, you see his creative power is at the heart of the Christian faith. He creates and he recreates. And the conviction that you and I will have about the future and what God can do will in some measure be founded on our understanding of God's unrivaled power and his unrivaled creativity. That's what you need to know if you, if you kind of want to see where we're going with this series, his ability to plant, uh, to build. And if, just for a moment, stop and just work that through in your minds. If you lose his creative power, if you lose his creative power, do you see that you also lose his salvation power? Salvation and creation, biblically, are linked. If you lose his creative power, you lose his salvation power. His ability to create and recreate. That Jesus was resurrected in a physical body, a resurrection body, as the testimony and triumph of God's salvation purposes and plans. And if you stand with Jeremiah for a moment and think, here we are on the cusp of exile, on the cusp of uh, there being, in a sense, no, you could argue, no lower point in the history of God's people. Everything that has been worked for is about to unravel. The king, the people, the land, it is all going to just to, to dribble away. And if you're at that point... And if you can begin to see that God's power to move nations and his creative power to recreate a people, to do it again and in a new and better way through his son, the Lord Jesus, 
when it begins to open your eyes to who God might be and what he can do. Three short things to uh, take away from this. If we stand with Jeremiah and we think, in lots of ways, there was no lower point than that, that kind of exile and unraveling, do you know it means I think you and I can pray with hope for our world. We can pray with hope for our world. We can pray with conviction that God who has done this before knows what he is doing. That there is no situation, however bad we might, we may, we may have a view of the world that sort of says it's been getting worse and worse and worse and it is worse now than it has ever been. I'm not sure that's true historically. But we can pray with hope knowing that God has uh, not only oversight, but ordains and can move the pieces of history as he chooses. And we can pray with hope about where we're going. There is no other like him. He is unrivaled in his leadership. Second, um, take a few minutes today or tomorrow or at some point this week, take a few minutes and reread perhaps Genesis 2, uh, reread, uh, say, Luke 24 or 1 Corinthians 15, and just read and meditate for a few minutes on God's creation and his recreation power. Take a moment just to reflect on it. I guess one of the things about artists is that they do things in ways you do not necessarily expect. Part of the genius of a great artist is they come at things and you think, gosh, I would never have done it that way. And as Jesus' resurrection body stands before his disciples, would you have concluded that was how you were going to do it? Meditate on that. And then thirdly, take a long view and put yourself and your life and put it in the context of a long view of creation and new creation. Take a view that looks ahead to what God will do ultimately in his new creation, when this world is wound up, a new heaven and a new earth, new physical bodies, and put yourself and take that long view and allow that to shape what you are doing at the moment. Allow that to shape who you are, the decisions that you're taking, the way you go about your work, the things that you will do this week. Just allow it to have a perspective. As Jeremiah stood and saw what God would one day do and knew it came through his unrivaled ability. Those are three things you could do. You may think of others. I'm going to suggest I pray for us and we'll bring things together. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would grant us that expanded vision of who you are. that we would see your unrivaled leadership over this world, that there is none beside you or like you. And that we'd marvel too and, and believe in your, your extraordinary creative power, your recreative power in your resurrection of the Lord Jesus and in the new creation hope that we have as your people. And Lord, if we're those who who struggle to see that. Lord, we cry out to you and say, help us see and believe, we pray. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Paul, thanks very much.